0: Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 176. Well, I've got a right treat for you today. This episode I thoroughly enjoyed. It's just over an hour, but it literally felt like about 10 minutes. The stories and experiences and just tales that are told in this podcast are absolutely priceless. And I would say... Get your notepad ready, because there's some absolutely crucial points in this podcast by today's guest, who is Mick Rathbone. I'm sure many people have either worked with Mick or know of Mick, and it's absolutely incredible. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. It was absolutely brilliant. We spoke about loads, to be honest, in this one, but to to sort of give it a summary, we spoke about the progression of medical and sports science support in mixed time in football. We talked about some of the key differences between working in different leagues, Premier League, the EFL. He um, spoke about working abroad and with England as well. Then we talked about some key attributes of a successful medical and sports science team. Mick also was really honest about his initial views on sports science and his opinions of sports science and how that changed throughout his career, which was absolutely brilliant to hear. Um, He was really, really honest with that, and he shouts out loads of incredible coaches in this episode as well, so it just shows the amount of people he's worked with, so I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Now, what I would say as well is that Mick has obviously got a book out, he's got two books out, but for someone to be so honest and share the stories that he goes on to tell, well, he scratches the surface on really in this podcast, but he's obviously covered more in the books go and support him because it's not going to cost a lot for you to go and buy his books but i know that he'd really appreciate it and i think we should really reward people that are going to be so open and honest and and share some of the stories like he has so he mentions the website to go and get the book so the smell of football 2 is out um, but there's obviously smell of football the original one that's also available um, like you said in the podcast that's available at Waterstones and all the other places you can get books from but the Smell of Football 2 is available at the website so go and check that out and, and buy it support him because I think it'd be great to support Mick on this one I just want to say a big thank you to everybody that made it out to our event at Everton last week great event and um, the presentations from that event are available on our online community so you can go and check them out if you're a community member and you weren't able to make the event or if you simply want to watch them back. Um, so a really enjoyable event at Everton. We've got two events coming up. Wednesday the 2nd of March, we're going to be down at Oxford United with Harry Routledge and Chris Neville. Really looking forward to seeing the lads down there. And then on Thursday the 17th of March, we are at Bristol City's training ground. Three presentations at that one from Steve, uh, Steve Taylor. We've got Del Bonsubo from the club. And then also Rich Clark as well. So as this podcast goes out, we've got tickets still available for Oxford and we've still got early bird tickets available for the Bristol event as well. So if you want tickets for any of the events, go to footballfitfed.com, click the um, shop tab and you'll be able to get your tickets there just before we get into the episode i want to say a big thank you to our sponsors first of all black box fitness black box are the world's best training equipment accessory and apparel brand black box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list training is a lifestyle continually seeking your highest performance in the gym on the pitch at home and in everyday life to perform at your best you need the best and black box has you covered so go and check them out on social media at Black Box Fitness, and then also Rezil. Big shout out to Rezil for their support. Rezil is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezil and Player Twenty Two can create game-style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. So go and give them a follow on social media if you don't already at Rezil underscore. Let's get into the podcast now. This is a good one. Hope you're ready for it. Get your notepad ready. Here is episode 176 with the author of Smell of Football, Mick Rathbone. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 176, and I'm delighted to be joined today by the author of Smell of Football,
1: Mick Rathbone. Mick, how are we doing? Wow, 176? 176 choice was hi, thank you for that. <laughs> Jesus, I can't live forever. You know, I'm nearly 64. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I'm usually people's first choice for this kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I made the top 200, so that's true.
0: That is true. Well, you, you've been hard to track down all this time. That, that's been it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've been busy retiring, I've retired for the last five consecutive years. It's fantastic, Ben, because you get loads of praise, nice cards, and you get, like, presents and stuff. And I realised about five years ago, I was away with England and I retired and I got a shirt and champagne and a lovely card. A few tears, actually. I realised you could actually make a living out of just leaving clubs. And then I left Forest and got a really expensive Paul Smith bag and a watch. I left Everton last year and I got a beautiful Hugo Boss credit card and a beautiful watch. And then I was just less soft and I got a lovely whip round and a card and that like. So I've actually made a career out of leaving clubs.
0: <laughs> so who's next then, very it? lucrative. Who's next?
1: Woo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, do you know what? <laughs> I retired last Saturday. God, it's been the longest day of my life today. I'm so bored. <laughs> no. Uh, funnily enough, I did get... I've, There is something in the pipeline, so I'll probably keep going. You have to keep going. Somebody said to me once this great analogy. Professional football, when you're in it, you want out. And when you're out, you want in. And I would say it's a great truth because you do miss it. It is your life. It's in your blood. I'd be at Salford today. I would probably just be coming in from the grass session. I'd have been out with the lads who were fantastic, kicking, running, jumping, Running with the injured lads, doing the soft tissue, back to the ground for a cup of tea, you know, great days, great stuff and uh, today's like, obviously I didn't have to get up and do that um, and I did miss it a bit, I'm not joking mate, strange.
0: Well, that's it, isn't it? Because a lot of people talk about that when they either step away from the game into something else, or whether they do retire or whatever it is. Like people often talk about that. So there's obviously some sort of a, attraction in with the in with the chaos as, as well.
1: Yeah, and I think you're usually dead within a year of retiring. So that makes me very.
0: Really <laughs> well, mate. You've mentioned there about some of your obviously current roles, former roles. Can you give us a whistle-stop tour of where you've been and what you've been up to that's led you up to the role with Salford so far?
1: God, I, I left school, played for Birmingham City, my local club, played there for a few years, played in the top division England Youth International, transferred to Blackburn in 79, 300 games, went to Preston, played about 70 games for them. Packed in, went to university, became a physio, started working at Preston, seven great years with David Moyes. Sorry, missed out the Halifax bit. Went to Preston with Moyes, promotion, promotion, promotion. Everton, eight years there. Left Everton, sacked. <laughs> then went to, uh, did some time at Coventry City. Then I worked with the England teams. Then I went to Blackpool. Then I went to Wigan. Then I went to Nottingham Forest. Then I worked in the Caribbean. Went back to Everton. Went to Crawley for a couple of weeks in between. I just finished at Salford.
0: <sighs> that was impressive. Not only the yeah. career, but the fact you got through that so quick. Um,
1: yeah. And, ev- and in all seriousness, loved every minute of everyone. And whether you're pulling on... A, 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 oh, I miss that Man United. <laughs> and whether you're pulling on... A, 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 and that, that, that is quite um, ironic too. But I, I pulled on a Man U shirt with MR on, Everton shirt with MR on, England shirt with MR on. But I've also pulled on a, a Crawley shirt with MR on and um, enjoyed it just as much. And a Salford shirt with MR on. Enjoyed it as much. Felt the responsibility and the respect and the history of every shirt I pulled on. And, and probably that is the secret And it's great running around at Finch Farm in Carrington. But you know what? I love running into the wind and the rain at Blackpool's training ground too, in the very thin shirts they supplied in January. So (laughs) it's all good, isn't it? You know, it's all good. There's no bad side to it. You know, I think uh, Brian McClaren, man, you said to me once, you know, he said, uh, if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. And I've been blessed to be in that situation, to be honest.
0: Yeah, great point. And in there, there was a, a brief mention of Caribbean. Where was that?
1: Yeah. When I left Forest, I, 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 I'd hardly had time to Google the price of my Paul Smith bag. And I got a phone call from um, my ex-physio from Everton, Danny Donickey, And his dad had got a gig. A gig's the wrong word, isn't it? Uh, he got a job managing a small Caribbean island called Montserrat. I knew all about it, actually. I knew about the tragedy that, that happened to it, and I knew about it because it was a recording studio in the 80s for some of the biggest British groups. So I kind of knew about it, and we went over there, and it had some amazing times over there. So, yeah, I've been very, very lucky. Very lucky, Ben. And uh, the, the, the secret of being lucky and keeping being lucky and riding your luck is probably appreciating that you are lucky.
0: Well, I don't think it's all about luck, though, is it? There's
1: obviously... And I was bald at 26. So that's unlucky. I just balanced it out,
0: didn't it? I don't think it'll be right to get you on with the experience that you've got, the knowledge you've got, and also the experiences that you've gone through with players, managers, and all the staff members that you've come across without asking how you feel sports, science support, medical support has progressed over the years that you've been within the game, maybe positive and negative as well?
1: You know what? We had a game at Salford recently. Um, The doc was off. The doc might not have able to come to the game. We were worried, could we manage a League Two game with just two physios, a sports scientist and no doctor? And I was telling the lads about when I played in the youth team at Birmingham in the 70s and the physio for those games was the coach and he had a bag with water and a sponge. And he had no medical qualifications at all. And that and that was a Premier League first division club in those days. And that was uh, the medical coverage back then. So it's changed a lot. Uh, obviously, it's changed for the better. As you know, if you've read the book, the books, I struggled with sports science a lot because I felt it was taking something away from me and being jack of all trades. And I tell a I can't remember which book it is. I tell a story about when I was at uh, Preston with Moisey. We're flying through the divisions, going ever upwards. And sports science was just starting to come in. And Big Sam had really got it going at Bolton. And uh, we signed Colin Hendry on loan for Bolton. Uh, they were in the division above. We were in the, probably the Championship. They were in the Prem-like. And uh, I knew Colin. I played with Colin. Colin come across. And he was keen to know what the setup was like. And uh, he knew I was a physio, obviously. And he said to Moise, he said... Uh, sports science, and Dave went, well, Baz does that because he's playing, he's fit and all that like, you know. And Colin went, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, do we have um, uh, a chiropractor? And Moise goes, well, Baz, Baz does an X and backs after training. He's pretty good at stuff like that. And Colin went, fair enough. Um, chiropodist, he was yeah, Baz, if you go back in the afternoons, like Baz will trim your toes and the health and stuff like that. And uh, Massa... It's Baz. So it was a nice story and a true story, but it was important to me that I could be that kind of jack of all trades. And when the new people start, when I went to Everton, it was the first time I'd had staff. So I'd gone from being a one-man band in the lower leagues to all of a sudden, I'm at Everton now, 2002. So there's a couple of physios, a doctor and a masseur. And they're my staff. I've got staff now. And I found it really difficult and Jimmy Cove is a close friend of mine and he's, he's still there now all these years on at Everton. He's invaluable to that club. And I found it really difficult to watch Jimmy massaging the players when I should be doing that. Mm. And I found it really difficult at first. This is 20 years ago to watch somebody else cutting my players' toes. They're my toes. <laughs> but it came on and I found it really difficult to accept. And my lad left home and he went to play at Man U and he lived over there and was clearing out his room one day And I got home, Uh, my wife was cleaning out his bedroom, and I got home, my wife was really upset. And I said, what's the matter? She said, oh my God, you'll never guess what I found in Oliver's room. I'm thinking, oh my God, drugs? She went, no, it's not drugs. I said, pornography? She said, no, look. And it was a mat and a foam roller (laughs) and a couple of elastic bands. And I was shocked, and I am thinking, I would have preferred if it would have been drugs. <laughs> but of course, because um, I was so old-fashioned, you know. And back in them days, I never used to warm up. I do stuff like that. We just used to go out, join in, run. We didn't cool down. We didn't recover. And it was an anathema to us. We were topped up with beer, you know, that that magical energy drink beer, <laughs> um, and there was no sports science. And me and my generation found it very, very difficult to adapt and to adopt uh, sports science. And I talk about it in my book. And I saw it done very badly as well. So that didn't help. And then as time went on, I saw it done better. And then I saw it done exceptionally well. And it started off when I I was doing the England trips. Because you're going all over Europe. And there's, there's me, a doctor, and a sports scientist, three medical people, really. Support staff and the manager and the coach and all the players, and that. And you become close personally and friendly wise. And I realized very quickly that the sports science stuff was really important to that guy, that it was done right and that. And I respected him because he'd been to university as well. And I helped and he helped me. And I started to understand it more and probably not fear it. Let's be honest, Ben. I didn't fear it. It wasn't going to brush me out of the game. You still need a physio. And I became really close to the sports science guys. Then when I went to Forest, I saw it done, done brilliantly well. And I saw it done by a lad called Nathan Beersley uh, uh, and Chris, Chris Thorpe. Nathan's with the England rugby team now, and I think Thorpe, he went to the Middle East and that. And I saw it done cleverly and I saw it done measuredly. And I saw it did with an understanding of the individuality of human beings. And one size didn't fit all And you know what? It was raining and we did lose the last couple of games. We're not feeling great. And it is Sunday morning. And you know what? Let's let the lads go home. Let's not go in the gym today because I can tell the lads aren't up for it. And I saw it done very, very cleverly. I then went back to Everton and I saw Jason O'Keefe do it very, very cleverly as well. And saw him understand that, look, these are human beings. They're not paradigms. And, you know, if it just didn't fit, and it just didn't feel right... And we looked at the players in training. Yeah, the metrics suggest they're not done a lot, but we can see they're tired and that. And when I saw it done with this balanced view, and again, the the guy, uh, John Lucas, who's amazing, the guy at Salford, when I saw it done really, really well, cleverly uh, and with a deference to the fact that, yeah, this is how it works, but these guys are still warm, breathing human beings. And we have to add that into the equation. I started becoming a real big advocate of it I saw it done really well by Kevin Gibbons at Rochdale with my son. Mm. And my son went from Man United and he was about two foot tall. <laughs> he was 19. He was, of course, he, was, he, was, he wasn't two foot tall. He was about five foot two, though. And he was 19 and he weighed about 55 kilograms and he was light and he was lacking in muscle and power. And he couldn't possibly have a career in professional football And I saw Kevin Gibbons take Oliver, with Oliver's consent and hard work too, because he was doing the work. And I saw him over two or three years, with natural evolution and growth as well. I saw them turn Oliver into an extremely powerful, quick, uh, aggressive midfield player. And he's now at Rotherham doing well and playing all the games and that. And that, if I didn't need to know, was the strength of sports science. And I stopped... Hating, so not the right word, decrying sports science, sniffing at sports science, because I played 450 games and I had 10 pints after the game. Didn't do me. I, I took all that out of it and I saw it done really, really well. And, and I became a good advocate of it. Any job done badly is bad. You know, if somebody paints your house bad, it's bad. It doesn't mean decorators are bad, does it? I saw yeah. sports science done not great in the early days and I saw it done brilliantly well. And I say the, the guys I've been lucky enough to work with recently. And I'll add John Lucas right to that list now. At Salford. I saw he done really well with a smile and understanding that these are human beings. And as I say, I, I became a big advocate. And without sports science uh, uh, and the, you know the um, the gym work, particularly s my lad could not have reached the level he's at now. No chance.
0: It's really interesting, but I think you're dead right. It's all about experiences, isn't it? And it's being open to the fact that that experience is not necessarily the definitive answer about the whole of sports science or the whole of whatever it is it's just that one experience i was just going to get speak- you to expand on that mick as well because you've said obviously and we've had, luckily we've had a few of those practitioners on that have done an amazing job like you've mentioned about but i'll be chasing a few more as well without obviously without naming names when we look at the the opposite of that when it's not done well what are some things that sports scientists that are listening to this right now should be aware of from your point of view where it's like this needs to be done better?
1: Well, just that dogma, isn't it? Like, you know, so uh, I've seen it with a few sports scientists who, who are probably much better now and much more rounded as the games come on, but I've saw it being uh, rigid and we are doing, I don't know, we are doing 12 box-to-boxes and 200 press-ups today, uh, and even if he's saying his hamstring's tight, we're doing it because we're doing it because we're doing it. And I've got here on my laptop what you need to do today and you need to do that today because that's what the science tells me you need to do. And you will go in the ice bath uh, whether you want to or not. Then I see people much more smart and, and, and especially with the England teams, I would say, right, it's a recovery day. So here's your options. There's an ice bath. I know some people loathe them, but there's also the foam rollers there. There's also uh, a little bit of uh, the bikes there as well. So what we'll say now is, look, Let's, let's, let's do a 40-minute uh, session and, you know, let, let's say we'll all do three out of the four options and that like, you know. So I saw it done, done just better and I saw it not something to be dreaded by players. And even clever, clever um, use of terminology like now, the warm-up, which in my day was to be endured and minimised, is now first contact, first practice. And psychology that makes things a lot better and it's not just warming the players up now, it's switching them on, it's getting all the chatter out of the way. I used to do all the warms or joining as well with the players and the sprints and stuff like you know. Often the fitness coach, when we did the sprints at the end, where it was blue, red, orange, you whisper to me what it was, <laughs> I'd get a flyer, get the gold medal, even though it was 60. <laughs> that was a buzz. That John Lucas did it a couple of times last week even. Little whisper, what Baz, white so ready and bang I've got a yard of only one so when it's done with a smile and when people understand and people buy into it and that the guy who's at Leicester now um, oh god
0: Matt Matt
1: Reeves Reeves Reevesy brilliant I saw him do it with England because I wouldn't want to be the fitness coach I don't want to warm the players up because players don't really want to do that but I saw Reevesy do it every day with enthusiasm and a smile I've seen Sports scientists do it and their body language is just underlining the fact that this is a bind, actually. It's a necessary evil. Nobody wants to do it. It is raining, blah, blah, blah. And as I say, more recently, I've seen it done with ferve and figure and a smile and a laugh. And John Lucas brought this brilliant thing in uh, a few months ago at uh, Salford. It was like a missile that he could throw. Uh, it had like an arrow on the end of it and a ball on the front and he started off with that, um, that program on Netflix where they all end up getting killed in Korea. Then,
0: oh, squid, oh game. Squid, game,
1: squid Game. Squid Game Squid Game, and that. And he bought stuff like that in. And he made it fantastic and enjoyable. And I'd always join in, And I think, yeah, you're not going to be this now. And that's how it's changed. And I say, back in the day, when I played for Blackburn in the 70s and 80s, the warm-up was literally a 10-minute jog around the park, a few stretches, and then straight into training and as I say it's more it's more complicated now it's done better for example I'm going to say even at Salford I don't want to decry Salford but Salford's a League 2 club but even at Salford now the lads are in the nutritional status they're they're doing urine tests some days and that then we're uh, we're going into the uh, gymnasium they're doing the pre-activation and then we're all meeting on the grass ready to go and that so even Salford and I say that as a League 2 club not the people or, or, or anything else about the club, negatively, we, we've got that box off very, very well. So I think it's evolving. And I look at it now, I don't know how we could manage with that. Let's be perfectly honest. And before John Lucas came to Salford, Your more Winnie was there, fantastic guy, really good as well. Um, very wise, very less is more approach to sports science. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, and before, after he left and before Luke's came in, it was, I think, 10 days and I took over as a sports science, and I got the shock of my life because I hadn't realised how much work there is. I, uh, I know there's the warm-ups, but I had to do that. I wanted to be different every day. I wanted to hit certain parameters. I wanted to make sure we got the distance in training. Bloody hell, I haven't got the drinks out. You know, bloody hell, I have got the recovery drinks out. Bloody hell, I, I didn't realise, but I've not got the ice masks on. And I, I saw, you know, I, I didn't think there were skivers exactly, but I saw in that week, Jesus, they've got some work, as well as having the responsibility to lift the session every day and make sure that first practice is absolutely great. They've actually got a lot of stuff to do as well. So uh, I got a bit of a, um, a shock, to be fair.
0: Brilliant. Mick, I was going to ask as well. Obviously, experience in the Premier League, experience in the football league with numerous clubs. I think it'd be great to go in for the listeners and get your your views on the differences, obviously the difference in, in leagues, but the demands in your role as well from working at Premier League level, obviously England as well, and then football league level, some of the key differences through working through those different leagues.
1: Just got more stuff, haven't they? I was really, I, I, when I was at Everton early on in the, in the 2003, 2004, then eight years where I was the head of the medical department, I was bad to the fitness coaches, not on purpose. I didn't mean to be. I was disrespectful, not on a personal level. I thought it was a load of bollocks, uh, a load of rubbish. Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. No, you can I swear, thought it was, ru- I thought it, I thought it was rubbish. I thought it was rubbish. It was taking away my importance. Since then, I've seen Dave Billows, who's now at West Ham. We're very close friends. I've apologised to him. There's a lad called Steve Tashian, who's back in the States now. When I look back, they were very good, and their job meant as much to them as mine meant to be. I've apologised to them many times for not respecting them enough, and I wouldn't make that mistake again. In terms of what's the difference higher up, it's just there's more stuff, isn't that? But you know something interesting as well? There still has to be a human to touch with all We can look at the stuff on the screen and we have live telemetry going now during Salford's games and stuff. So that's how far we've come at Salford under Luke's and that. But you also need an old fashioned approach. And let me tell you this kind of apocryphal tale. Many years ago, um, we were at Belfield, God, so it's 20 years ago. And we had an Italian fitness coach, a really nice guy. And we were doing the last day of the running in pre-season and it was the dreaded horseshoes. You start at one corner flag and you run essentially around the pitch till nearly the whole lap. You finish off at the corner flag 50 yards away behind the nearest goals. You've got 45 seconds to get in. Your recovery is you walk across maximum one minute. You go again. I think Phil Neville spoke about it. it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Anyway, the Italian guy's there and I'm not, denigrating him. He's got this new telemetry setup, and we're all, I, I did it myself. I always used to do the running because uh, I was a, still am, but I, I was a, that was God, I was only in the forks and I was a terrific runner anyway. And I could easily do the pre-season and I joined in and that like, you know, and there was always the question when we finished the first one walking across, God, how many more, how many more, that dreaded question. And on a bad day, it would be six. And if they was in a good mood, we might let you off with four, Anyway, it was a hot day and that, like, you know, so we've done four. Oh, we've got another one to do. So we're going again. We've done five and it's the hardest thing. It's nine out of ten. It's so hard and that, like, anyway, we get to five. It's a hot day. Some are collapsed on the floor. Some lads have been sick and that, like, you know, and the Italian guy comes running across and he goes, David, 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 my, 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 my machine, my machine, they, their heart is, is, is working too fast. It's too much. It's too much. David, come on, he's too much for these players, my heart rate and all that, you know. And what David said then is a great truth, and sports scientists should appreciate as well. And he said to the guy, he said, Listen, he said, I don't give a F-U-C-K about what your machine tells you. I don't give a I don't care. He goes, the first game of the season's Chelsea away, whatever it was. He goes, and I need men who can climb off the floor now walk across for a minute and get in for that sixth time. And I need men like that. And that still remains a great truth to sports science. When John Lucas, I'm saying, Luke, it's my my, my latest experience. When he came to Salford, he felt the players weren't fit enough. I agreed. If I'd have disagreed, I would have respected his opinion because that's his field. Hmm. I agreed anyway. And we... Decide with the manager to train the players harder so one day in this harder training not merciless but harder training higher load more high speed running particularly a lad pulled his hamstring and the lad walked off and the lad was fuming and it's too much it's a joke and all that kind of stuff and luke's was really upset and i went to luke's after training and i said right stop it he had his head in his hands and that like you know i said stop it we've all agreed all agreed the manager." The senior players, you're the expert, and for what it's worth, I agree, and I've been in football since I was 16 as a player, manager, physio, head of medical, head of sports science, we need to get them fitter. Unfortunately, along the way, like making the proverbial on, you're going to break some eggs. So you've done nothing wrong, and we're all behind you. Unfortunately, a lot of clubs, there is, or was, or I've heard many stories, there is a fracture between sports medicine and sports science. And there's a feeling of, well, you're injuring my players. And I said to Lucas, train them as hard as you want. I'm right behind you. If you injure a player, we'll look after that player. We won't be saying, oh, look what Lucas has done. No, he's injured one of our players. Isn't he our little TWAT. We all work together now. And we build a team. We're close friends. And we're all pushing the same direction. I think think and hope it's like that at all clubs. But I saw that period. And I, I guess I was involved myself as i said before and i saw that at clubs for many years where they're different and and you know they want different things and it's egos and that and near the twain shall meet and that and i saw that uh, as, as a fracture and a big problem at a lot of clubs and i saw different areas of different clubs one in the other area to fail and that like you know well he's useless well you scouted him yeah but you injured him yeah but you didn't get his injury right And I saw that a lot, unfortunately, Um, and I heard a lot about it. I made sure that me and the fitness fitness coach at Nottingham Forest were really close friends and we supported each other and me and Nathan went out on the grass with them and went in the gym with them and I helped the master with the soft tissue and Nathan would come in and help out and we worked very much as a team and that's how it has to be. And if there is that fracture between the two, I found it, as I told you, really, really hard. And I saw it coming in at Everton, where even the physio work became more highly technical. I worked at Everton a couple of years ago with a guy called Joe Hinnigan, who's an absolutely brilliant physio. And they, all of a sudden, I'm still out on the grass every day, being really old fashioned and that, like, you know, but that's all it needed anyway. And I saw Joe measuring this and measuring. Um uh, God, I can't, I don't even know what it was, reverse platform countermeasure jumping. And I saw him measuring stuff, and I saw them take the calf strains through this, through power, through hopping, through alterg G at 50%, through g at 60. And you know what? I thought, you know what? This is actually fantastic because when I take them out on the grass on day one, I know their CMJs are great, if that is appropriate. I know their power's there. I know the muscle bulks back. I know already they've ran at 60, 70, 80, 90. So when I set off running with them, I've not got that fear of running on a jar and say, oh, it's gone again. Mm -hmm. So I learned to embrace a new technology. And what I saw a lot over the past 20 years, Ben, is I saw people refusing to embrace it. And I realized that you've got basically, and I saw it a lot with England, when Dan Ashworth came in and Dave Redding. They wanted it their way. They wanted it measured. They wanted it quantitative. Uh, sorry, they wanted it qualitative. They want it across all age groups the same. So we spent more time in the gym. We spent more time preactivating, more time recovered. It, and that's how they wanted it. And a lot of the older guys didn't believe in it, didn't want it. But at the end of the day, this is how it is. And you either change or you wither on the vine. Now, I changed because I accepted it and I uh, embraced it. I still didn't really understand a lot of it, but that was not the point and it didn't really matter. And I respected it. And when Dave went to Real Sociedad in Spain and that, you know, I wanted to go and he would have liked to have me over there despite only recently sacking me a couple of years before. Um, And I spoke about going and it didn't work and they didn't need a medical and there was talk of me doing maybe the sports scientist. And I said, no, I said I don't understand it. I'm not a sports scientist. I don't have a degree in sports scientists uh, science. And um, yeah, I understand that if you're overtrained, players are get injured. I understand you need to. Well, I understand it, but I don't have a degree in it. I'm not qualified to do it. And I'm not disrespecting people by taking a job that I'm not qualified to take, and that. So as I say, I learned, um, and as I say, Dave Ring and Asworth, they brought this in in probably 2010, 2000, 2012, much more pro sports science approach. I didn't really want it, understand it. Didn't, I'm not going to say didn't appreciate it, didn't embrace it, but you know what? And I, I'm only saying, we can only look at results. My God, those teams went to the next level. We won the 17s in Malta. Um, Would we won it without the sports scientists? Don't know. Possibly, but don't know. I can only judge on results. Then they won the World Cup and they had a golden period. I've I've lost touch now because I left six, seven years ago. But they had a golden period where the English teams won everything. So I can only say, and if they'd have lost everything, we can only judge by results, can't we? Is it working? Well, what are results like? It's crude. It's probably not fair, but they won everything. So I would say to Dave Redding and to Dan Ashworth, and, and, and I didn't really... No Dave Redding, he, he weren't around our as much, but then Ashworth was sort of always around, always supportive. And what they brought in, I have to say, worked. It worked. And as I said, a lot of people in my age group, the, the, the old fashioned people, like, you know, they didn't change and they didn't accept and they didn't absorb it. Now, I would say to, I did all the outside stuff, and I would say to Jason O'Keefe for Everton, because I respect the guy and I like him. He's my friend anyway. And I want him to do well. He wants me to do well. And we both want Everton's 23s to do well. We all want it to do well for the team and the players and that like, you know. So I would say to Jason, right, I'm taking Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon out today. He's on his way back from his hamstring strain. Uh, What we're looking at. And he'd say to me, right, I've looked at his parameters. We're looking at a total of 5k. Can we do no high-speed running because we did 500 metres yesterday? And can we just do that today? And I would say absolutely because I respect you and you're the expert. Now, within that total load of 5K, I've still got um, room to manoeuvre. So I can do loads and loads of short passing drills, a lot of sharp stuff, get his legs burned a little bit, lots of stuff like that. Uh, they want no high speeds running and he's not the sprint stage anyway. So I'll, I'm only doing ball, but they've asked for a total load of 5K because they want 25K this week. So why don't we start off with a 12-minute run? And that that hits them 2.5, 3K already. I'll do some short, sharp, round the cone, nice fast feet ball work. He's not putting pressure on his hamstring. It's not a sprint. We're not extending the hamstring in the upright position and everybody's happy. I've respected him. I can still do essentially what I want Been around that circuit, like, you know, and that's it. And I've seen people go out there and think, Phew, I'm doing this. He can, off uh, uh, like, you know, and that's poor and it's poor. Um, lacking respect for the fitness guys. Um, yeah. I did it for seven years at Preston when I qualified and three years at Halifax before. So I did it for a decade with no fitness coaches and nobody died. Nobody got hurt. Everybody loved it. Everyone was okay. But we moved to the next level now. These guys who are my friends were there, and I respect them. And I would always do the work with the player. I'd then, if I sent the player in at Everton, if he'd done for the day, I'd walk over to where the lads were training, and I'd speak to Jace immediately, and I'd say to Jace, no issues, mate, he saw them parameters and that. I had the watch as well. And at first, if somebody said to me 10 years, 15 years ago, you'll be wearing a watch, I'd think ludicrous. But you know what? After a while, it became really handy because I could see if they were high speed running. I could see if they were sprinting. I could see the total distance and that. And I learned to really like it. And it was so handy with the hamstring strains because we would say, right, we're now, we've gone through the, we're now starting to hit sprint. We've done four or five consecutive days of high speed. We're hitting 70, 75. Need to hit 80 today. But I, I can guess what's 80 and that and what's 85 of that, but not as good as the watch can do it. And I had the watch on and i'll do a few of the players side by side i look at it i think wow that's great or i might think wow that's actually only 75. Uh, let's do one or two more a little bit more now, our band gauge that light you know and then the next day i go out and we, we're doing uh we're hitting 85 today we're hitting 90 now we're hitting 95 today and it was so handy so i'm actually now embracing all the stuff that, you know, I found in my son's room and wanted to call the, uh, the police. <laughs> so I'm now embracing all that stuff, Ben. And do you know what? It was great and it was better. And we use that thing on the muscle. It cuts off the blood supply for a couple of minutes and that. And I saw how hard it was with that on. And I saw that burning. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I could have put on a session, one leg cycling, one leg squats to get that gain and that. So I started to enjoy it and like it. And I, I can still take the lads in the pool and we can have our 30 length races and a laugh and a joke and stuff and that. It wasn't devaluing me like I thought it would do all them years ago. It wasn't restricting me, you know? So I learned to, to love it and really embrace it and, that and see it's a really important part of the overall picture now.
0: I'm gonna keep this really short because if you're not already a member of the online community, You need to go and check it out because we've just uploaded three brand new presentations from our event at Everton. So there's the presentations from David Flower, James Malone and Lewis Charnock all available to watch back on our community as well as loads of other presentations and webinars. Go and check it out. If you've not already had your free month, go to um, footballfitfedeven.com, click the community tab, sign up there and it'll give you a month free. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month and you get continued access to all the presentations on there, including all future events that we've got as well. So come and join us, come and join the community and check it all out, um, all the content we've got available. I'm going to keep this short. I'm going to get straight back into the podcast with Mick Rathbone. It's such an interesting area of discussion that i think it just comes back to the middle ground doesn't it you've used a couple of words there by the way repeatedly which i think are so important one was trust and one was respect for fellow professionals who whatever the role is but i think we get drawn into like the very data driven approach and then the sort of human approach and experience maybe and you've just talked about combining both of those and taking the um taking every situation as it comes and deciding what you can do at that time. And it's so interesting to hear those stories. I think it's so valuable for coaches to, yeah, to hear. You need
1: to be humble as well. I'll tell you a, a, a really good story. Years and years ago, there was an England camp. We were at St George's Park for a week. We played a couple of games. I can't remember. Somewhere. I might have played in St George's Park. I don't know. Against Belgium. I, I don't even know what year group it was. And we're now in the year of, of, of good, proper warm-ups. So we go in the gym before training. Some lads would have programmes from the clubs, which I would oversee uh, for different the injuries they were carrying. And the fitness coach would, would do a bit of his stuff and that like, you know. We're getting ready to go out on the grass and stuff. Afterwards, we'd go in and we'd do uh, ice baths, or if I can get in the pool with Baz, that's me, and just do some stretching off in there. So either or, some lads... Don't like it, you know, lads have got really low body fat feel the cold, obviously, like they don't want to go in. That's OK. You can go to the pool next and do some, you know, so all the bikes are by the pool as well. So I'm not going to say there's no escape, but there's a selection of things to satisfy and suit everybody's recovery requirements. So we had a really good week there. Um, but we played the last game. And the last morning we were getting up, breakfast, team meeting, recovery. And... I put it to the sports science guy. I said, look, you know what? It's a lovely day. We've done loads of recovery. I've been in the pool every day. We've done all that ice bath. We've done loads of recovery, loads of preparation. The the camp's over now. We played the last game. Is there an argument tomorrow? Up, breakfast, team meeting, and a good 45-minute walk down to the gates of St. George's Park in the sun and back. And he said, no, we're doing proper recovery, which is okay. But I think there's a great argument there for saying, of course, that makes perfect sense. It's nice, it's a feel-good factor rather than right. You've had your lunch, you've had your team in, everybody down to there now, get changed, gym, bike, in the pool, in the ice bath. I think that would have been common sense and a nice humanistic approach to end a really successful camp. But he said, no, we hit these parameters today. Okay, not an issue. I didn't go around saying to the players, he's near to I said, when the players pull the face, I said, no, let's do it properly, you know. Yeah. And that's another thing as well. You have to support each other. And it's really interesting. When I first got to Everton, my very first day, had my very, very first staff, I got these guys who are now very close friends of mine. and that You know, the old Dark and Jimmy Cobra and Danny and Matt Connery who, who, who are flying now in the world of sports medicine, that. And I sat them down. I said one thing. I said, look, guys, I've not had staff before. If you don't like someone I'm doing, Say it to my face. Don't say it behind my back. Because if you say bad things about me behind my back to the players, you'll make me look bad, but you'll make yourselves look worse. And that's a great truism. We had a lad called Rodrigo, who's from Brazil, and uh, lovely guy. Done his prussia, and uh, Matt got a gr- Matt Connery. Yes, Matt Connery got a great trip back to watch the surgery in uh, Rio and spent 10 days over there. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know. But R- Rodrigo said to me one day, he goes, Buzz, and I'm thinking, it's Buzz, but Buzz will do. <laughs> he goes, i never seen this. i never seen it where all the physios are so good friends and such good friends and that and would not say bad things and support and agree and are close and that. i never seen that at any other club. And that's a very important thing. And I've always driven that home and stuff, wherever I've worked and that. And I've said, you know, always to my staff, because I've usually gone in his head and had staff and that. And I've always said the same thing and that we support each other. And like, if there's me, well, I'm not at for now, me and a young lad called Steve Veselicus, Aussie guy, unbelievable, 23 years of age. He acted older than me. And people would say, Baz, which one's 63 and which one's 23? Because he was old before his time. But I told him that story from day one. I said, Steve, you know, one thing we learned and that, and about the fitness people as well, Luke's, there we, was only me, Steve, and Luke's and that. Like, you know, we all worked, we supported each other, we helped each other. If he needed stuff moving, we moved it, we helped him shift the gear, he helped us shift our gear. Like, you know, if somebody needed an extra pair of hands, Luke's was there and that. We worked great, we're close friends, went to for coffee together, we'll be friends forever and that. But I said to that Steve on the first day, because Steve's very new, first full-time job at a club and that, and I tried to help him and teach him. And I said things like that. You know, we don't criticize the players and that, you know. And I say, like, you know, if you make a mistake, Steve, which he never did, and a player read just because you did too much with him, I don't go to Gary Bowie or Dave Moyes back in the day or Mark Warbton and say, oh my God, Steve Vasilikas, sorry, Steve Velasikas has effed up. I don't say that. I don't throw him the bus. I say, David Gary of it, maybe. I said, apologies, it's been a mistake in the medical part. We've pushed the player too hard, he's broke down, it's gonna be another week. Now the manager's gonna go effing hell, blah blah blah. I can't actually remember that ever happening one time, one time in 25 years, uh, with a player at Everton. And, and I said, Look, misdiagnosis, it's gonna be another couple of weeks. And always was great. He said, Yeah, that happens bad. We all make mistakes and that, like, you know, but you know, come on, that can't happen. It, it happened once in eight years, 15 years with Dave and that like, you know. But that's how we work it. I don't go in like some physios do and say, um, yeah. oh God, he's look what he's done. Look, he's made, he, he's broken that plough. Oh my God, he's need terrible and that. You don't do that. That's not being a leader. That's not being a team player. So simple common stuff. Leadership, isn't it? You know, you lead from the front. And if there's a mistake, it's our mistake. The bad news is told by me. Not I don't send... You know, the, the, the junior figures up to tell the bad news. Although there wasn't any like, I work on Christmas Day and I let my staff have that day off. That's just good leadership. And as I say, we support each other. We understand each other's um, ambitions and pride in their job as well. We don't undermine them, like, you know. And if Luke puts on a running session a player pulls his hamstring, the player was devastated. i get that. you pulled your hamstring. It's going to be, Actually, it was only two, it was nothing, it was two weeks and that. I go off with the player, give him some bag of ice, assess it and that. I'm not walking back to the stadium with that player saying, isn't John Lucas a prick because he did damage your hamstring? You know, I, 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 maybe the player wants to get me involved in that. But, you know, I would say, no, we've agreed you're not fit enough. You would say you're not fit enough. There's only one way to get you fitter. It's a minor injury, be back in a week, 10 days. So come on, this is what we're trying to do for you. And when we do extra work and we run the players and that, and we train them hard and that, and they're grumbling all the time and that, like you know, it's you know, Luke's is on the bottom with the stopwatch and that. I'm probably doing the running with the players and that. It's it's an easy shot to when the players are moaning. This is ridiculous, it's ridiculous. It's got a game Saturday. I say, listen, guys. We could all go home. Me and Luke could be sat having a coffee now and a cake in Starbucks and that, but we're here in the rain, in the cold. We're doing this because we want the best for you and we believe this is the best for you. We could have all gone home half an hour ago. We could be sitting in at Starbucks now with a nice cinnamon buns, my favourite, flat white and that, but no, we're here on the grass, in the mud, in the wind, in the rain because we believe it's the right thing to do and you know what? I've never met a player yet who didn't say, I don't agree, they've all gone, you know what, begrudgingly, full marks to you and it's all done for the best of the players and he, I always include the players as well and the fitness guys do right this is what we think you three lads have had not very many minutes because you've been on the on the bench and that light you know so what we're going to do we're going to do some running Want you open up we've got the we've got the GPS we want you to open up now and we want you all to hit 400 metres of high speed running and the reason is this because when you don't high speed running you don't stretch your hamstrings and that and you're more prone to injury that's been proven in numerous so here we are. You lads didn't play Tuesday. We're not letting you slip through the net. We're not letting you become detrained. You might not want to do this now. The lads have gone, it's raining and that. But you're doing it. And that's it. And the lads will always go, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I get that. I'm having that. And as I say, that argument, look, we could be saying Starbucks now with a cinnamon bun and flat white. That's a very strong argument. And no player will ever argue against that. We're out in the rain. We... We, we could have, you know, we've done some laps, we've done some stretching, we've done some bodies, we've done some core work. We're, 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 we're out on the grass now. It's half an hour. The lads are all home now. They've gone, the lads who played and that. We're staying out because we need to do this. And players will, and you're going to, and the lads who played are off tomorrow, you lads are in tomorrow, and it's going to be a hard session. And that's because we want you to maintain your fitness levels. That's it. And most players, if they're worth a salt, are not going to argue with that. And as I say, it's about including the player. Maybe the days of not including the player, because if you say to him, go and run through that brick wall, he's daft enough to do. The players are more tuned in, the more understanding, you know, the more questionable, the more questioning. Many times I'd take a player, even even at League Two level, and say, we're doing that, we're doing that. And they would say, well, why are we doing that? I said, because of that, you know, players are more tuned in and are more likely to ask questions than that. And as I say, when I'm with, Steve and we're, we're discussing the rehab with a player or the sports science I would also say look, this is where what we think we think this is a relatively minor we don't we don't do scans really at Salford and that so we think it's a minor knee injury I know it's sore now I get that we expect you to be cycling pain-free in two days have no issues walking down the stairs in two days either We think you'll be running in a straight line with zero symptoms in four days, five days. Then we introduce the ball. We think you'll be back playing in two weeks. Now, I can't see inside your knee. If we get to four days and you're not running pain-free, then I'm only human. I've made mistakes. Then we'll reassess that and maybe get the club to pay for a scan you know. And the players will have that all day long. And if in four days' time, and I can't think of an example where it's not gone well, if in four days' time that player's saying, you know what, I don't like this, right, let's get a scan then. Oh, mm-hmm. look, it was that what we thought it might be, thinking outside the box. And the players will have that. But when you're pedantic, when you're regimented, well, you will do this, you you know, you know that's what we're doing today, you will do that. And, you know, I, I've had a couple of times with players, there's a classic example, my kind of first First year at Everton, we had a player called Alessandro Pistone, and uh, he was reputedly a little bit difficult to deal with, and that, like you know, so he came and he had a hamstring strain, and I said to him, Sandro, I want to go out today. We're going to do a good old-fashioned twelve-minute run aerobic, and then we're going to do, I don't know, eight box-to-boxes, and we're going to hit some high-speed running in the last four. And he said, Baz, Baz, okay, but. Today, for me, it's my legs. Today, I want to concentrate on my leg strength and do no running today. Now, he's a professional football player in the Premier League. So I said to him, OK, we'll do that. And we'll do the running tomorrow, though. He went, no problem. Yeah. Whereas people dealt with in the past, no, you're doing that. Don't you try and take the pee out of me. You're doing that. You know. So it's about that sophisticated approach. Now, if he'd have come in the next day, oh, no. I said, no, 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 no. We're doing the running today no no but that didn't happen we did the running the next day so it is a bit quid pro quo include the player in the diagnosis include the player in the rehabilitation discuss them how are you feeling today this is this is a, the plan today what do you think yeah it sounds good and we think you know and i would always say to the player when i do my rehab listen this is what we're doing today it's it, it's a 45 minute session I would grade it as a probably seven out of 10 session in terms of how you would RPE that and that like, you know, uh, tomorrow it's an eight. We usually do two days on the grass one day off and we'd usually go a seven and an eight, one day off seven and an eight, you know, and that's how we do it on RPEs and that. Now you could be very early hamstring and you can't go above half pace, but we can still do an eight because we can do, I used to do a run where we run slow for 30 seconds and we increase the half pace for 30 seconds or even a minute and i run with them and that, and that's a blow. So you, you can always, do, but the, the secret is to, to include the player in it, Ben. you know, make them feel they're part of the process and not, right, you are doing this today, kind of whether you like it or not, despite how tired you may feel. So that's where we are, mate.
0: Now, there's some absolute gold, in that, um, I hope people have got their notebooks out making notes of some of this stuff. Cause I think it's, <laughs> I think it's incredible just getting the insight and some of the stories are absolutely brilliant, mate. And
1: but I had to change Ben. I had yeah. to change had to learn and I had to adapt. And when I look back, when I think about it in my early days of physio, we never warmed the players up. We just went straight into it. Then as I got older, and you know, thought, wow, I don't ever pull a muscle and I don't need to warm up. And, um, God, when I was first at Everton, when, when the fitness coaches were coming in and I wasn't bad in terms of being a bad person, but when I was kind of dismissive of it and it was all this new stuff and the lads would be outside and they'd be stretching off and on them bands and on the rollers just outside. And I'd come out like to do my running session and the players would say, Baz, Baz, you haven't warmed up. I'd say, oh God, sorry. Let me stretch my thighs. And i go to the first ball. And I blast it with my left foot as hard as I could. Perfect. Then I say, right foot. I blast the first one with my right foot. Then somebody say, don't forget your hamstrings. And I go from walking to flat out sprinting. But I knew that I never got injured like because that was how I was made. But as I got older, I looked at my foot. That was poor, you know. That was a cheap shot at the sports science guys. I've apologised to a million times like, you know. And I now understand that you need to warm up, you need to warm up mentally, physically, psychologically, sociologically, you know, so I understood that the first practice, that first contact was really, really important. Like, you know, sometimes it would just be on bikes chatting and getting the nonsense, getting that win out of your system, getting that day off and a couple of days off and what you did out of your system and that. So, so I, I learned to adapt and I changed a lot. Yeah, no,
0: brilliant. And that- I know that we're literally scratching the surface on some of the content in the books, but can you give a little bit of an overview? Because you've got two books out now. A little bit of an overview on why you wanted to do them and then also probably the most recent one, what, what it's about.
1: Okay, so when I was a young player at Birmingham, I was really scared to play. And it was beyond performance anxiety, it was actual fear of playing. And I tell the story, People say it's the funniest thing I've ever read. It's supposed to be tragic that my implosion as a young player, I'm playing in the top division at 17 and terrified. would rather pray for a broken leg, praying not to play. I remember stood in the corner at St Andrews, the noise and, and walked up the tunnel. I remember thinking to myself, if I was getting hand, I could not feel any worse, more terrified. So that's the thread of the first book. It finishes at the cup final at Everton when Chelsea beat us. And it's a journey. It's a journey of learning to have more confidence and believe in yourself more. That's what that one's about. I, I wrote it because I wanted to tell that really sad story, although people said it was really funny, but it's supposed to be sad. And the book won awards. It got great accolades. It made me very proud. And to see your book, your baby, your life story in Waterstones, in everyone in, in the country, is amazing. To see people... I got to the long-listed for the William Hill, got to the last five of the uh, British Football Book of the Year to go to the um, Savoy Hotel. And so I had all those things as well. It gave me a lot of validation. The second book, I realised that when I left in 2010, I was at loads more clubs and loads more things were happening. But the, the vein, the, the, uh, the depth of the second book is about getting older in sport and touching on these same things, and being gradually more and more distanced from the modern stuff and feeling old, and the metaphor was my triple operated on knee hobbling around and stuff, and how long could I keep going on this young man's game? But it's got great stories in it, at Blackpool, at Forest, in the Caribbean, with the England teams, back at Everton again, and all the other clubs in between. So it's got lots of great laugh out loud, I guess people are saying. And what I wanted then, I didn't want it to be a crap version of the first book, which a lot of second books are. And I spent a lot of time designing the cover, the same amount of words as the first one. The second one's only available on the website and that. And why did I do it? Do you know what? It is ego. I wanted, people, I wanted to be an author. I wanted to be a published author. So I've now written two books. And when the second book came out, it's only on the website. It's not in Wardson's. You can't get it in the shops because, to be honest, you don't make very much money that way. Uh, you, you make a pound a copy and that it's nice it's in waterstones look at me woo only one percent of people who write books get them all all, uh, published and that so look at me and that but the second one it's on my own website and that and you make a lot more money per book and it's exciting to see the books coming through every day like you know but if i'm being honest the first one was about telling the story the second one was about being a bloody author and i'm an author i wrote two books now And the people who reviewed it, and it's getting reviewed by some quite big hitters in the next couple of weeks, and that like, you know, the big mags and the big people and that. But two journalists reviewed the second book, and they both read the first, and they both said they thought the second book was better than the first book. And I was so proud because I didn't think that was possible, Uh, I didn't think it was achievable, and that made me so proud. And I want to be Mick Rathbone, author, and I want to do a Smell of Football 3. And that's going to be coming out maybe in a year's time. And that's going to be a diary of a month in football. And that's going to be kind of a big, small book because people love the absolute trivia, the minutia, the day-to-day nuts and bolts of it. But because I'll be leaning back and discussing how it's changed, it'll have that big, small feel. It'll be looking in minutially, if that's a word, at the day-to-day minutiae of being at a football club for a month. But looking back on that massive scale of how things have changed, So that's that. But as I say, uh, that's the thread of the second book. The thread of the second book is getting increasingly old. there's a great shot if I've got time to tell this story. So I'm getting more and more worried about being old and looking old and feeling old. Anyway, I'm working at Man U now, and I'm looking after the lads on load, as well as going out on the pitch every day as a kind of mentor. And we have a great connection with um, Antwerp. Royal Antwerp, the oldest club in Belgium. Got a couple of lads on low. So I think I'll go over. I'll go over and meet the manager and see the lads, make sure they're comfortable in the digs and watch a game. I play on a Friday night, so I fly to Antwerp and got the game. They win 5-0. And Belgian people do like beer. Anyway, I go over. I've got my um, Man U suit on and my Man U tie and that proud and that like, you know. Uh, anyway, I go in the players' lounge, supporters' lounge after the game. People are pissed. I mean, proper pissed. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Anyway, I walk in there, and uh, for some reason, I've left my reading glasses on, like, you know. Anyway, they won 5-0, so it's double getting pissed. Anyway, I walk in there, and I'm not famous, but I'm not unknown completely. And I am aware when there's a kind of muttering, kind of on and a free sign of whispering when I walk in somewhere, like, you know. Anyway, that happened in the um, supporters' club in Antwerp. Anyway, I'm going in there and I'm thinking to myself, God, as the smell of football made its way across the, uh, I nearly said Atlantic, but it's uh, channel. Anyway, eventually, there's this whispering, murmuring and I, I'm stood there like, and a guy comes over, pissed he is like, he gets a scrumpled team um, shot out of his pocket and he goes, will you sign, will you sign? I thought, buzzing, I will sign. Like, you know, so I put best wishes, blah, blah, blah. And he said, thank you, Sir Bobby. <laughs> I thought, no, that, no, are you Sir Bobby? They think I'm Bobby Charlton. I'm f- I was, what, 45, he was 70. So <laughs> I thought that was the worst day of my life. So It must have just lot. been the
0: Man United badge. That was it all was. it was.
1: And because I, I kept I had my reading glass I was reading the, reading the programme as well. So it, it was that. And there's lots more stories like that. Um I, I tell one when I had my big, up, I had a big up on my knee, and I decided I've got to rehab it. So I joined the, I joined the club in Whit Park in Blackburn, the gym in Blackburn's Park, and that like you know. And I go in one day, it's got the nurses in there at a table. I'm thinking, oh, that's good. The um, the, the local corporation instigating some health drives and that. Morning, I walk past, and he says, oh, excuse me, sir, are you heart attack or angina? <laughs> I said, I said I'm ten k, thirty six minutes is what I am. Fifty press ups. <laughs> God, heart attack or China. So <laughs> there's loads of stories like that. And I'm really proud of the book. And, and I love it. And I love it. It's great. And uh, the first was great. Not my words. The second one's better. Oh, my God. The third one. That's going to be like, but I say you can only get it on the website.
0: And what's the website, the web- mate? <laughs>
1: Go on. The website is wwwthesmelloffootball 2.co uk but it's really easy to order and you click and i sign all the copies if, if, you, if you order it and come on twitter as well i personalize it my wife uh, sends them off the next day first class and people have been delighted with the service and, and they've said some amazing things i got a picture today somebody lying on the beach somewhere hot saying he's loving it as well so Brilliant. it's been really well um, received uh, by everybody including the uh, the uh, the experts and that so it's given me a great buzz and my cup runneth over. Brilliant. My, my energy drink runneth over. <laughs> my recovery, my rego, my rego runneth over.
0: <laughs> now, I reached out to a few people that you've actually mentioned in the podcast so far, just to get a little bit, of, little bit of an insight into yourself before I did the episode. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it in a second. But one of the people said, this will be the best podcast you're going to do so far. And I'd probably put it up there because that has been absolutely incredible. Some of the like the stories, the knowledge, the experience, and just how open you've been with it in terms of your views on sports science, how that's changed. I really, really appreciate you coming on and doing it because I think there's so much value in it. And what I'd say to anyone listening, go back and listen to it again because there's probably stuff that you missed as we went through first time. So I really appreciate you doing it, mate. But before you go... Okay. What's that? I've really enjoyed it. Good, good. So before you go, we always finish the podcast with a few questions on the end. And I normally call them quick fire. And I'm going to ask you them in a second. But, the first, but I have got a little bit of feedback on one of them as well. Um, the first one, which will be really interesting. I normally ask what, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far. But I'm going to narrow you down to three people. Can you give me three people that have had the biggest influence on your career so far?
1: All right. My wife is the best. She's amazing. She saved my life. Not metaphorically, although I, ne- I nearly did. I don't know if you know this, but I-, I nearly died when I was seventeen. If those Birmingham City fans had got through that dressing room door, I would not be here today. So it's my wife and uh, David Moyes. Massive effect on me. And I would probably say uh, Bob Saxton, the manager at Blackburn. Amazing guy, amazing manager. I played my best football under him. I had 15 years with David Moyes and then it all came to an end. Did I tell you that story? Did I tell you the story? Oh my God. 10th of May it was 2010. We just beat Portsmouth last game of the season, beaten 1-0 their last time in the Premier League. And Things haven't been going well between me and Dave. <laughs> and uh, he called me to his office and he just said, I could see like it this it, it, it didn't seem right. He just said, Baz, he said, uh, time for the change. And I said, oh, don't go, Dave. You're doing a really good job. <laughs> he said, no, no. He said, a change in the medical department. I said, you've never liked Matt. He said, Baz, it's not Matt. I said, Danny. <laughs> he said, it's not Danny. I said, oh, hang on. I said, right, a change in the medical department, not Matt, not Danny. I said, I give up. you have to give me a clue. He goes, Baz, is in this room now and it's not me. I'm looking behind the curtains, under the covers of the settee until the penny dropped. And do you know what he said? His final words to me, and I'll never forget this. He said, Baz, he said, Baz, close the door on the way out, son. And that was it. 15 years gone. But... It wasn't just quite like that. I did make up that story. It was all amicable. And he gave me everything a man could ever want. He gave me executive wages to allow my kids to all have new cars when they needed, go to university. He allowed me to work in the Premier League for eight years. He allowed me to be head of medical on the beast clubs in the world. He allowed me to go to nearly every country in the world, business class with that fantastic shirt on. He gave, uh, uh, he gave me everything, that guy. So I, I, I say great things about him um, after the first page. <laughs> and he's been the biggest influence on my career. He's an amazing guy. And I'm so pleased, as I predict in the second book, that if somebody gives him a chance, he'll show you that he's a world-class manager. So that's uh, that question answered.
0: And then the next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner?
1: I would say it's probably enthusiasm. And you know what? I choose my attitude every day when I wake up and I choose to be positive and I choose uh, to be enthusiastic. And as I say to Steve, that's at um, Sofford, he's 23, he's learned, he's brilliant, he's going to go at the top And that. I say the biggest thing is enthusiasm. Because when I leave Salford, which I've left, I don't really care if the players say, oh, Baz was a crap physio, or Baz was terrible at putting strappings on, or Baz was... But, but if they said Baz was lazy, or miserable, lacks enthusiasm, that would floor me. I wouldn't want that to say. And, you know, my strappings are old-fashioned. It was really funny because I caught a couple of the lads on match days didn't want me to put the strappings on one, he to put them on. But as I pointed out to him, I said, you know what? Wazza never bothered. And Rashford never bothered. And TC and Nev never bothered. Raheem never bothered. But you know, if you want Vasta to put your strappings on, it's not a problem to me. But it, it's, it, it's enthusiasm. And that's so important to that. And you know what? I remember once <laughs> Josie Yomo saying to me, Baz, you happy? You smile every day. I said, I'm working with you, aren't I? He didn't get it. But yeah, And when you're working in football, it's not working that. And I'll be honest with you, Ben, there's been a few times when I've driven into A, B, C club, when I felt like SHIT and I don't feel great and things aren't great with other things. But you know what? I leave that at the gate and I come in and I go, five, four, three, two, one, bang, in the house. And that's how I work. And that's how I'll always work. And you know what? If you're injured and you've got a long-term injury and the physios are miserable, what chance have any of us got? So, so that's it. Enthusiasm, mate. Positivity. Just on that Nobody's question. Nobody's ever died. I've been a physio 25 years, no deaths. <laughs> that's a stat. That's a that's great some stat. <laughs> that's a record. That's a record, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so proud of that.
0: On that question, I've said over the last few podcasts, I need to start reaching ahead to get some feedback on that question from others that have actually had the, the experience of working with whoever it is I'm speaking to. I've done it for the first time. So I've got some feedback. I asked that same question about you to a couple of people and I'll tell you who they are after. I won't mention them on the podcast, but I'll give you the little, the quote that they gave. So I asked one of them um, about your biggest sp- strength as a practitioner and they put, first of all, they said, he's a legend. And I was like, that's, that's great. Can you give me a little bit more constructive feedback? And then they said, he's obviously a great pac- practitioner, with his knowledge and experience, that goes out without, uh, that goes without saying. But one thing I loved about him was his infectious personality, positive and his ability just to make everyone smile and happy, which I think is absolutely crucial day to day. Well, I've,
1: I've caught you smiling twice already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And then I've got another one. So that is a coach that you've worked with recently. This one okay. is actually a player. That transitioned into coaching as well. So um, he actually said that it, it, you were at the a club just before he got there, but he you actually went back to the club, I think, a few times when he was there as well. Um, the fittest physio I've ever seen, he started by saying. Um, he was out running players and all return to play sessions, very knowledgeable, got a story for everyone, and can rap too. Yes apparently. Um, yes. Just one of those larger than life characters. Every day is a new day with him.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I try and be humble as well. The physio has got his role. I'm not a player. I'm not the manager. You know, I, I, I like to bring enthusiasm and energy, but I'm not running the show. I, I, I'm aware of the role of the physio. It's a sophisticated role. You know, it's not all about me. You know what I mean? It, you know, I, I like to contribute, but, uh, yeah, it's really funny that because, you know, when you go to a new club, which I do every year now, when you, you have to sing, don't you? So <laughs> about five years ago, I, I really like Eminem, like, you know. Um, so uh, I, I developed this, um, this rap. And like, when it, particularly at, at the, like a forest at Wigan, Blackpool with England. With, I've done it six times, the same thing. And you get to that Friday night, first one of the season, and a few lads there, nervously quaking and that. And then the spoon on the thing and that. And there's, there's a chair and that, like, you know. And then somebody always goes, oh, it's Baz's first trip. So I'm always last to go. And I always go up and I say, lads, I say, I don't even know any songs. I don't even know any songs. I'm an old guy and that, like, you know. I said, I'll tell you what, somebody shouts someone out and I'll try and sing it. And then I say, what? The final rap scene from 8 Mile. I'm 63, not 23, but you know what? The gaffer always says, do your best. I have seen the film. Let's have a go. Obviously, I know all the words. So it's fair to say people weren't expecting that. <laughs> I think you're going to do like Frank Sinatra or something like, you know. But, uh, yeah. And when I was it with Montserrat, we had some incredible wins. And I don't know if you've seen that film. And the final rap scene and that—it's incredible. It's probably the best part of movie history, I would say. Uh, that and when they first see the shark in Jaws, probably, or when the head goes round in The Exorcist, like you know. But because uh, obviously I'm white and all the Monstrat lads black and that, and we do it in the dressing room afterwards, and they're all got the background noise singing. And big Adrian Cliff, the guy who's just doing what at Born and Wood like Cliffy, he stands up in my face. Like when I'm doing it like on the television, like in the movies, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind yeah. of those people to say that. So uh, that that's makes me proud and humble and that, and makes me feel like I've kind of done a decent job.
0: Not only that, though. I think the, the the fact that you're so honest and telling the story and people can take so many lessons from, from you talking and about your experiences, I think that's key as well. So I really do appreciate you coming on and doing this. I think it's been incredible. I could have talked all day. Um, we've gone over an hour and it's literally felt like a blink of an eye. So I really appreciate you doing it, mate. Um, just remind people again, firstly, where they can get the book, but also uh, where they can follow you, social media, Like, give us your tags on there.
1: I'm just on Twitter, aren't I? So am I at, at Mick Rathbone, I guess, on Twitter? I think you Mick are, yeah. yeah. Um I went on Instagram, but I couldn't work it out. So I'm on that, but God knows where. So it, it is just Twitter, basically. My, my, if anyone wants to email for advice, it, it's Mick.Rathbone at Hotmail.com. If anybody wants any advice, I want to help. I, I've had so much out of the game. I want to give back. I want to put back. I want to help anybody who needs Anything, any help to meet up even, like, you know, if local and that, like, you know. Um, the book is The Smell of Football 2, and it's only available on the one website, and that's www.thesmelloffootball2.co.uk.
0: Incredible, mate. Thank you very much, Mick, and let's stay in touch. Great.
1: Thank you very much. Bye.
0: Now, if you're anything like me, you probably sat there now with a page of notes and just sat back in your chair trying to reflect on some of the stories and topics that Mick has gone into there. I think that was absolutely incredible. I just want to say a massive thank you again to him for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate him doing it. And like I said, being so honest as well, his initial thoughts on sports science, um, sort of brushing it off, being probably a bit disrespectful to it, and then throughout his career, realising the importance and where it fits into his practice and where he can fit into a sports scientist role as well so a really really good conversation um, and I hope it opened a lot of thought processes with yourself as well so I always say reach out let me know what you took away from the podcast but especially on this one because there's got to be some stuff that's sort of got different things in your mind got you thinking about different areas maybe that you can incorporate into your practice so let us know, even if you do it privately. DM us, let us know what you took away from the podcast. Or if you could put it out public, put it out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Send it out on WhatsApp, however you want to share it. Please share this one because I think there's so much value in it. Um, takeaways, this is a hard one on this one to narrow it down. But it's. I think he, where he spoke initially about struggling to delegate, I think that's probably what a lot of people struggle with initially, like giving the responsibility over to other people um, because they don't think things are going to be done as well. And then your your role of a leader, um, it allows you or requires you to do that at some stage. Um, then bad experiences of sports science. I think this just shows early on that we, we can all be exposed to bad experience, not necessarily just sports science, but it might be bad experiences with technical coaches, with physios, with um, whoever it is, directors of football but it shouldn't determine our view on that role going forward, we need to stay open-minded like Mick has and he's talked about on the podcast, um, we need to find ways of working with people and getting the most out of what is available to us, he spoke about rigid programming that was one of the, the areas of sports science that he didn't like. And it's something that we spoke about a lot before, like dealing with different environments, different situations, different personalities, absolutely crucial within sports science. Not speaking behind people's backs, I think, is an obvious one. But at the same time, like we're all adults. We, can, we should be able to have conversations to people's faces, whether we agree or disagree. Um, let's have conversations with each other and it creates a much better atmosphere. And obviously the message that is then passed on to players is a positive one then as well. So there's a few of mine. I could probably write a book myself on the, the other stuff that I've taken away from Mick in this episode. But reach out, let me know what you took away. And then just also from me, I mentioned at the start, let's support Mick, because Mick's been really open. He's sharing his stories, he's being honest on how we view sports science and and all the rest of it as well, so let's support him by um, pushing his book, The Smell of Football, and then the number 2.co.uk, go and check it out, grab a copy, buy a couple, and give one to a friend, um, I know he'd really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you for listening, and also for Mick for coming on, and being so open and honest on the podcast as well, and um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 177.